Have you ever met a student or professor thrilled about what they do? I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Matthew Sauchek this week, and he happens to be one of the most enthusiastic professors I've ever met. And it made me wonder, where does that kind of enthusiasm come from? Hi there, I'm Alexandra Baton-Bailey, and this is the Beyond the Podium podcast series at the University of Florida. This series focuses on teaching and learning, and we're here with outstanding faculty who share their best tips, tools, and strategies, always with a little humor. Dr. Matthew Sauchik is currently serving as an assistant professor of leadership education and the coordinator of the campus-wide leadership minor at the University of Florida. His research interests are in humility and the creation of organizational leadership programs. And aside from his research and administrative duties, Dr. Sauchik also currently serves as a consultant to the New York Times, focusing on the newspaper's educational programming for leadership studies, faculty, and students. Through his story, we find out how he discovered his true passion, developed contagious enthusiasm, and uses that to promote student engagement in his courses. When I was starting out, I I wasn't a particularly good high school student, got uh, into a small school, Wilkes University, um, mostly because my father had worked there, and I think he did uh, the handshake, uh, wink, wink, and got me a first semester try, and that was nice. Um, So I got into Wilkes, and I was really passionate about psychology, and I think like you hear from most students, um, that passion really helped me excel in school. That that when I was in high school, I didn't care for doing a lot of the things I wasn't interested in and being there from you know eight to to three thirty. But once I got to to college, I got to focus in on the things that I really loved and didn't have to to take many classes that I wasn't excited about. And then those classes that I wasn't excited about, I really started to embrace because I was doing well. I was feeling confident. With this newfound confidence, Dr. Sauchik was sure he had found his calling. So I came out of Wilkes believing uh, that I was going to go into clinical psychology. And in my junior year, I was so excited I was going to do a clinical rotation at a group home. And I was at the group home for about 15 minutes when one of the, uh, the clients at the group home threw a fire extinguisher at the back of my head. And I got rushed to the hospital. I got stitches. And about 20 minutes into that uh, internship, I decided that I was never going to be in clinical psychology, that that wasn't for me. I wasn't interested. So I, uh, I had to find a passion in this idea of human behavior and psychology. <laughs> so it doesn't really require being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher to realize that we really do need a little bit of help sometimes. And that help can come in many forms. And one of the forms it most often comes in in higher education is through a great teacher or mentor. And that is exactly what happened for Dr. Sauchik. My advisor at that point in time uh, kind of steered me toward business and said, could you use these 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 same skills, these psychology skills, the things that you're learning in psychology in the world of, of business, instead of taking individuals who needed um, sometimes severe help to get to kind of uh, normalcy, could you help people who were normal or people who were kind of just 
existing in organizations and make them great. And I, and I like that idea of taking someone who was just kind of having an average time um, existing in an organization and building in that engagement and building that community. I think that's where it starts to come from with the passion I have for teaching is I really like taking that average student or that average experience and kind of making it great. So how can we as instructors then help our students discover their passions? Simply by creating an engaged classroom. And that engaged classroom happens when we take the time to help our students develop relationships with each other and with the instructors. So I think students learn best when emotionally they're connected to the material, they're connected to the class, and they care about the people that they're in that class with. You know, a simple hello, how was your day? I, I usually say happy Monday as soon as students walk in. And I try in a 100-person class to say happy Monday to every single student who walks in. And I think it's those small little things that, that build up over a semester that students to really connect to, they start looking forward to. You know, if every single day for a semester I say happy Monday or how, how is your day? And then, you know, halfway through the semester I stop doing that. Students are going to wonder what's, you know, wrong. I mean... But in most classes, they don't expect that. So I think if you can emotionally get them in a place where they expect you to show up every day, be excited every day, they're going to be excited every day and they're going to want to learn. Building these kind of connections, helping students to establish these relationships, really begins on the first day of the semester. So the first day, for example, of class, we usually have that you know technique of going in, going over the syllabus and jumping right into the material in it, it takes away from that opportunity to really build good community. And we get afraid of that. We don't want to write icebreakers. Everybody hates icebreakers. But the reason icebreakers are so successful is because they build community. So you don't have to do the trust fall or the kumbaya. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. Maybe that's more uh, applicable in certain fields than in others. But what you have to do is on that first day, let students know that this is going to be a special class. It's going to be a class where they can come once, twice, three times a week, feel really comfortable, feel psychologically safe to take risks, to give answers, to to work things out, and that others are going to really support them in that practice at the very minimum. And then on top of that, if they can feel great about coming to class, be excited at nine o'clock in the morning about waking up and coming to class, all the better. One of the tactics that Dr. Sauchik uses is really by not only focusing and putting extraordinary effort into building relationships, but also in building a culture of recognition. Because in a culture of recognition, students feel important and valued. For example, in the class I'm teaching this, this summer, every Friday we do uh, recognition on, on every Friday's class. And, and I'll put up recognition. So this week's recognition was from Monday to Wednesday, we went up six percentage points in uh, attendance. So I let the class know how appreciative I was that attendance was higher on Wednesday than it was on Monday, and we clapped. There was two students who became note takers. I, I, I put them and asked them to stand up, and we clapped. One of the grad assistants answered a question, is going to now hold Tuesday uh, makeup classes for students who want to come. We clapped for them. So I find reasons to kind of celebrate, recognize. As important as it is in organizational cultures or businesses to recognize your employees, it's that important in your classroom to do things like that. So creating a culture of recognition is not the only tactic that helps students to become really engaged learners. Someone told me a long time ago, if you want to get students to speak up in class, you have to get them first to speak to each other. That's, that's something that I always do in classes. Before I ask, if I ask a question in class, for example, I, I, um, 
I was asking them in class yesterday about theory. I'll ask them first to talk to each other and bounce some ideas off. The amount of people who are willing to participate after they've tested it out with one person, then going to the the whole class is significantly higher than if you ask them to speak up, kind of have that critical thought and speak up first for a couple of reasons. One, I think they've tested it and they've, they've gotten reassurance to, from someone else that it's not a ridiculous idea. Two, I think they usually will speak up, the other person will speak up, and then they'll combine what they heard from someone else and for themselves to use that critical thinking to then speak up to the group. And then the next person will not only use the other person and themselves, they'll use the person who just spoke or all the people who just spoke. So you start to see this collectiveness in the class in building that critical thinking. So this highlights the fact that students who speak up in class do so because they feel safe enough, comfortable enough, that they're willing to take risks and engage. When I say safe, not, not you know, they're not frightened, but safe to take risks, uh, safe to ask questions. Um, safe to talk to each other about their learning process. At the end of the class, I want them to take the biggest risks, and I want them to knock it out of the park, sort of, sort of say, using a baseball analogy. My bigger projects are due at the end. So one of the projects I have is they have to interview someone to find out about leadership skills. They have to apply this person, you know, ask them certain questions, use a particular type of interview technique, and then they um, will write a paper on the theories, uh, the stuff that we talk about in class, how that applies to this leader. Now, if I don't allow students to take risks throughout the semester, if I don't build a, an authentic community where students feel safe to do that, what I find is those papers come back that they've interviewed their parents, they've interviewed their, their, their roommate, they've taken no risk to reach out to someone who may really have a tremendous impact. And that's not to say that their parents aren't great leaders or that it's just the risk to do that. What happens is they play it safe. They ask those individuals because they're, they don't want to step out of that boundary or that comfort level. If I build a community where they are feeling comfortable to take risks, know that they can screw up and it's going to be okay. Um, what I find is at the end of the semester, they're reaching out. Last semester, I had someone reach out to uh, someone in the governor's office. I had some, you know, someone reach out to Tony Robbins. To, 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 like I had these huge risk-taking moments. I had someone reach out to the head of Disney's leadership development training. Not only did they accept, they met with them, and now they're doing an internship down there. So, I mean, you start to see these amazing risks being taken and it paying off. The question is, how do you get there? Those are the kind of risks we all hope to see our students take. As a matter of fact, I've had some students that, after a couple of semesters of a foreign language, have gone off on diplomatic missions across the world. Those risks are spectacular, growth-producing risks. But those students don't magically become great risk-takers. It takes guidance in order to nurture a sense of adventure. It's a process of facilitating that risk-taking. And then you give them a, a homework, a small homework, like go out and meet with someone and talk about what you appreciate or, or someone you find happy. And let them take a risk there and then really start to talk about in class those students who took huge risks to go out to someone who was outside of their immediate experience. I had one student go and meet with someone that they actually didn't like at their organization. And it completely changed their perspective of this person by just doing that interview they really built a relationship. They understood the commonalities they had. I celebrated that the next class. We, we clapped. It was great. We talked about it. I think as students start to see those risk-taking behaviors happening throughout the semester, you know, we have 15 weeks 
to really shape what happens to that end point. If you think of any great season uh, um, on TV or any TV show, they build out over the whole season that final end show. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing in teaching is we're introducing the characters, we're introducing our teaching style, we're introducing this this community, we're getting people to care about all the people in there, and we're building it to this final place where this greatness can happen at the end. And And that's what I love to do every semester is try to find ways to do that. All of the effort put in to creating community and engagement pays off in the end. Because when students are truly engaged, they can and want to dive deeply and think critically through the material presented. And I always go back to this, how do you build community? You build community by this thing called psychological safety, making students feel comfortable thinking, thinking deep, not just giving you what you've asked for. If you ask them to just regurgitate, they they are gifted at that. They will study Every word you said, they will memorize every word you said, they will click off the boxes that you need them to check off, and they will say exactly what you said back to them. I feel like that is hollow in its learning process because it doesn't do that critical thinking piece. It doesn't connect them to their themselves, their experiences, their story, as we had talked about earlier. It's that critical thinking piece that's so deeply important to Dr. Sauchik. And he works to build in community, engagement, and relationships as natural pieces of his courses because these impact students' ability to think critically. I need to put a lot of energy in up front to allow students to feel safe, to engage, to build community, to emotionally want to get up every morning at 9.30 to come to my class to be excited. But if I'm able to establish that in the first couple classes, what you find is that that becomes then reciprocated. Whether we teach online or face-to-face, whether our classes are large enrollment with hundreds of students or small graduate seminars, the considerable effort we make in planning before the semester begins and in creating relationships and engagement at the start of the semester pays off. In fact, by investing so much in our students, we are guaranteed a significant return on that investment at the tail end of each and every semester. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beyond the Podium podcast series. For more information or for teaching resources at the University of Florida, please visit the teach.ufl.edu webpage. If you're interested in viewing other episodes of the Beyond the Podium series or to find out about future episodes, please visit the teach.ufl.edu website as well. And we'll see you next time.